Money consumes many in our current culture. Even churches are known for having financial planners, bankers, stockbrokers, investors, investments themselves, money managers, venture capitalists, CPAs, real estate developers, CFOs, denominational finance experts, as well as denominational savings and loans like our denomination has, investment strategies, trusts, etc., all within their doors or within their experience or within their reach. They're even big on encouraging wills and endowments and final testaments. That's what a will is. A will is a person's final testimony regarding money. And churches are even known for having lawyers there or having lawyers on consignment and having all kinds of women and men within their churches regularly giving out financial advice. Churches are even known for addressing the subject of personal finances. We've done many sermon series here in my term at Mission Covenant Church on finances and on money and money matters and things like that. We've taught uh, small groups and young adult studies on personal finances. And we've even offered on numerous occasions Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University that has helped a lot of people in their own money management. Now, how would you like today to receive some free financial advice from a person who's recognized world over to be one of the richest, most successful, wisest people to ever have lived. And I'm not talking about Dave Ramsey here either, who's helped thousands and thousands of people uh, financially, and I believe, uh, he, I believe he's, his net worth is somewhere north of $55 million is what I've read recently. But the person I'm inviting you to listen to today wrote the book on international commerce. Here's what's said about him in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Kelco, and Darda, and the sons of Mahol. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. Now, based upon, or excuse me, uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23, goes on to say this. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. And based upon all the items that King Solomon owned in his lifetime, uh, experts tell us if we take those items, transpose them into our fair market values of our day, experts surmise that Solomon would presently rank as the fifth wealthiest person to ever live on this planet. We are talking about a net worth, a modern net worth of $2.2 trillion. We're not talking about a millionaire here. We're not talking even about a billionaire here. We are talking about a trillionaire here. And so if you could sit down with the fifth richest person in human history, would you sit down with that person and listen to what they have to say? Now, this last week, I had the opportunity to sit down with a multi-millionaire and hear out what this person had to say. Uh, this person, you know, shocked me with some things they said. You know, that they haven't signed up for Social Security. They haven't signed up for Medicare. Leave that for other people to have. I mean, I just had never heard something like that 
in my life. And he talked about his business experiences, talked about his investments, talked about uh, what he was doing, some of his recent transactions. And when he spoke about all these things in his employment, I listened. I hung on every word he said. And I even asked him numerous questions along the way. Well, my encouragement to each of us here today is to listen to the richest person, who one of the richest who ever lived on this planet, and listen to the advice that he was giving to his son Rehoboam uh, as well. Now, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing, and your, bra- your, your vats will brim over with new wine. Solomon lays it out very plainly here. In life, he says, money is not the goal. It's not what we should ultimately be striving for. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my son, my son, he's talking to Rehoboam. If you accept my words, if you store up my commands within you. Chapter 3, same thing, my son, you know, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. And one of those is to honor the Lord from your wealth. Now, uh, Solomon here is clearly laying out uh, our single most important goal in life should be to honor God. He's telling his son, give God priority when it comes to your money. And thus, this issue that I want to raise here biblically with each of us here today is are we giving God priority in the use of our wealth? You know, having grown up with plenty of wealth, Rehoboam knew full well uh, about his father's financial success. And he knew that he would be unwise to not listen to what his dad had to say. Just as anybody who would read Solomon's literature or any listeners to his lectures would have been unwise not to hear what he had to say. Here's what the writer of Chronicles said about Solomon in First Chroni- or Second Chronicles chapter 1, verses 7 to 12. It says, That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want to give, want me to give to you. Solomon answered, God, you have shown great kindness to my father David and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over people who are numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I might lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you or ever had, and none after you will ever have. Now Solomon did make his share of mistakes in his lifetime, especially concerning marrying a foreign women who worshiped false gods. He also spent a fair portion of his life, or in the early days of his life anyway, living the party lifestyle, living the nightlife. He's the one who coined the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. But with all that in mind, he did a lot of things right in his life, especially when it came to money. You see, he clearly understood the priority in which finances should be placed. He chose to put the value of wealth beneath the value of wisdom in his life. He was the son of royalty himself. 
having been born, if you will, with a silver spoon in his mouth. Yet he understood that wealth would not solve all of his problems in life, that wealth would not ultimately bring him success. Solomon had enough sense to place riches in perspective and to pass that message along to his own son and to all of us as well. The very proof of Solomon's wisdom was his ability to manage the world's greatest wealth in his era without letting that money corrupt him. You know, it's been said by more than one commentator that he was one of the world's most exceptional figures because of how little impact his wealth had upon him. The truth be told, very few people in life could ever handle such wealth. Many experts today say as well uh, that money, more than anything else in life, corrupts the human heart. And that's saying a lot. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 10, he said, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not the root of evil, but it is a root of all kinds of evil, all kinds of ways that people can go off the path. And these verses, by the way, here in Proverbs, were not haphazardly placed in chapter 3 of this book. Their location in the book in this specific chapter happens to be very intentional. Solomon has been trying to impress upon his son and upon all who will hear this advice that every activity of life needs to acknowledge God and not rely on one's own self, one's own intuition or understanding. Solomon has been trying to teach his audience to not lean on their own understanding. Instead, they need to learn to trust God. And we talked about that two weeks ago, that we should be trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts and not leaning on our own understanding. In all of our ways, acknowledge Him, and God is the one who will then make our path straight. And by the way, is there any area of our lives where we struggle more with trusting God than in the arena of finances? Is there any other area where we singularly like to be in total control than in the area of money? Do you understand our initial question now? Are we giving God priority in the use of our wealth? Are we valuing wisdom more than wealth in our lives? Our single most important goal in life should be to honor God. In other words, we should be using money to please God. We should always use money as an expression of worship. And worship is, by the way, declaring God's worth. So God's very existence becomes the most important factor in our use of money. Now, this is more important than saving money for a rainy day. It's more important than even avoiding debt. It's more important than operating on a budget. And it's more important even than helping out financially the less fortunate. King Solomon says the best financial advice on the planet is to honor God with your wealth. This is the wisest, most prudent course of action a person can take in life. In the Hebrew language, the term for honor, it means to glorify. It means to make honorable. And historically, it meant to weigh down, where they would weigh down a king with a big crown and with these big glorious robes and with all of these jewels and various kinds of adornment. And by the way here, wealth here actually means in the Hebrew language sufficiency, meaning that God will provide. We will have enough. God will see us through. So please understand today that God's existence 
is the most important factor in life. Thus, every time you spend money, every time you pay bills, every time you set a budget, every time you go shopping, you are to honor God with your wealth, with your sufficiency. And this is simply saying that we are giving God priority. Honoring God with your wealth refers to how you earn it, to how you spend it, to how you share it, and to how you hold on to it. This should all be done in such a way that it shows the world all around us that God's existence is the most important factor in our lives. Is that true of you? Is your, is your single most important goal in life to honor God? Are you giving God the priority in your life, in your use of wealth? The proverb says here that God is honored by our first fruits. God isn't honored by our leftovers. He's not honored by our afterthoughts. God isn't honored by our good intentions. You know, well, we would do more if we could. Or, or, or you know, we hope to do more in the future, you know, if we're able or if we can. Ancient Israel actually had a festival to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest, the beginning of the harvest, the first freshly ripened fruit and crops that would, would come. That means the choice parts, the choicest oils, the chief thing. And poetically, when they wrote about this, they would refer to it as the first product, even though there was no guarantee that there was going to be a complete harvest or that the harvest would all turn out good or that their product all would even sell. And case in point is right now, if you talk to any farmers locally that are starting to bale their hay and wrapping up their hay fields, they will tell you that right now they're basically getting one-third of the hay that they would normally get at this time of year on a, a wetter, lusher, greener year. Because we've had a really dry, extremely warm June, Warmer, warmest one that I can ever remember in my lifetime in this region. And even May had many nice days, and July has been very hot. So the fields are thinner. They're, they're not as thick. The, the grass and the hay and the clovers and the alfalfa and all of that, the trefoil, they're not as large. They're not as big. They're not as full. They don't have as much uh, protein in them. So it's not as good as what it used to be. But people have to step out in faith and trust God on the front end. And to honor God on the front end means that we trust Him enough to know that God will provide for us. Doing such checks our own covetousness. It checks our own greed that wants to make the Lord the last one that we honor. You know, the little Kit Kat bar, as Heather pointed out so clearly, that we put on the top of everything else in our life instead of God being the very first thing in our lives. That's what it checks in our life. We're not to check also our budget first to see if we have enough money, you know, because uh, we might want to spend our money on something else. Do we have enough money to let God be first? What we do is we simply say, God, I love you, and I honor you for all your generosity to me. That's what we do. And so doing, we make clearly by our actions and state clearly by our actions that God is first in our lives. Are you honoring God with your first fruits? Are you giving God your very best? Or does God in your life get the leftovers? Does he get the small Kit Kat bar in your life? In other words, are you giving God priority in the use of your wealth? After all, the single most important goal in our lives should always be to honor God. And if we do honor God, God offers his abundance 
to those who honor him. Now, please remember here that the book of Proverbs is a genre in the Bible known as wisdom literature, which means it's not a book of promises. It's not if you do such and such, then this is what's going to happen in your life. No, what Proverbs say is all things being equal in life. If you do this, then the following is likely to occur. For instance, in today's lesson, as we remember what Pastor James preached about last week in our well-known self-serving bias, if we generously give to God out of our first fruits, you know, and, and with our well-known self-serving bias, you know, with our own selfishness, greed, or covetousness still there, but we venture out and give to God with no regard to those things, then God will take care of us. And what this text is not teaching us here is what some prosperity gospel preachers like to say it does, that God wants us all to be, enjoy prosperity at all times and in all situations. If being healthy and wealthy was God's will for us, why didn't Jesus embrace that when he was here on earth? In fact, Jesus said something the exact opposite. Jesus said that the foxes have dens, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay down his head. You see, though the Bible teaches that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and that Jesus was immeasurably rich, he was rich. But for our sakes, it says, he became poor. Jesus didn't spend his earthly life just trying to make money. He lived his life here in abject poverty to the point where he even ended up dying on a cross and being put in another man's grave, another person's grave. Though he was rich, for our sakes, he became poor. And the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' devout followers, followed in the exact same footsteps. He was brilliant. He could have probably earned a lot of money in his lifetime. But once he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he devoted his life to planting churches, so much so that he would work as a tent maker on the side in many of these communities so that he could then uh, not burden the church and establish churches, took three missionary journeys, wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament church, and he did that in a lot of poverty as well. And he penned these words in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, that I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. He said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He knew how to live with a lot as well as how to live with very little. And the Bible teaches over and over again that the pursuit of wealth for wealth's sake is grievous to God. And life is intended to be about honoring God, which is why so many people today get so confused about honoring God with their wealth. They think that somehow honoring God that way means being generous to God when biblically it's exactly the opposite. It's all about God's generosity to us. It's honoring God through what God has done for us. And I'll just give you, we don't have time to explore all of this today, but I'll just give you some examples. First of all, our very lives. God is the one who's the author and sustainer. He's the creator. Uh, in him, the book of Acts says, we live and move and have our being. Uh, it tells us in the Psalms that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we literally have our breath 
that we breathe each day because God allows for us to have it. So where does the capacity even to earn a living come from? It's from the life that we have that God is the author of who's given it to us in the first place. Then it also tells us in the scriptures that our abilities, our talents, our gifts, even our opportunities in life, because you have to remember that God has also given us His Holy Spirit to lead and guide us each step of the way through life. So all that we have has been God-orchestrated. It's been God-given. And then think specifically about this. Because of the culture that we live in, the nation that we live in, uh, we have safety and relative safety. We have well-being and freedom and protection and the rule of law. All of these things have been God-ordained because God is the one who's ordained governments to be and to uh, manage and control and to set laws in order for societies. It reminds me of the old Vince Lombardi proverb that success happens when hard work meets opportunity. And think of this for a moment. Why have so many immigrants succeeded in America? Many of them are our ancestors. Literally all of, all of us, uh, many of us were immigrants at one, our families were. Many, not everybody here today, but many of ours were immigrants to this country. And they have overachieved, many of them, have experienced tremendous success. Why? Well, they've worked hard. When they came to America, they've worked very hard. And many immigrants, first generation and second generations, Immigrants in America right now do the very same thing. They work extremely hard. But for the first time in their lives, and for many of them and many of our ancestors, it was the first time in their lives they had the opportunity to better themselves and to better their families. Success happens when hard work meets opportunity. The point of what I'm saying is that our wealth, or as the Bible describes it here in Proverbs, our sufficiency comes from God. It's all from Him. And we honor God when we, we give from those first fruits. Now, one of the things that Cindy and I are most blessed by and most proud of when it comes to our own children is that they are blessing the Lord. They're honoring the Lord in their giving. And they're even starting to teach that to our young grandchildren. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, our son-in-law, Kyle, who's married to our daughter, Naomi, was taking our two oldest granddaughters, Emmy and Lucy May, uh, with him on about a 45-minute drive to an implement dealer. He needed to get some parts to fix his weed whacker at home and gave mom a break with a new baby. So they were traveling over. And as they were traveling, Emmy answered a question for Lucy May in the back seat. And then she finished it by saying, I'm so smart. She's four years old and five months, turns four and a half next month. I'm so smart. And dad had to jump on that. He says, well, how do you know you're so smart, Emmy? Well, because I know where Grandpa Darrell works. Well, where does Grandpa Darrell work? He works at the church. Well, Emmy, what does Grandpa Darrell do at the church? Well, mostly he just talks all the time. <laughs> but they've also started to teach her how to manage money and value money, a little allowance. You know, of course, grandpas and grandmas and, and uncles and aunts and they give gifts of money for birthdays and other uh, events in their lives. And so she's got a little piggy bank and saving up money. And they taught her the power of purchasing something recently at a store where she brought her money and had to count it up and plop it down on the counter for a little 4 or $5 uh, a toy that she wanted. And the cashier was so good and being you know, good to her while she was doing that. And then when they went home, they thought they also thought, you know, it's really important not only to teach her uh, about you know how how 
you know, the economy works a little bit and people spend money and that sort of thing, but also the importance of giving some of your money to the Lord, that God should be given the first fruits of what we have. And they explained that to this little four-year-old, and, um, and she thought about it for a moment, and she said, no, I think I'm just going to give my money to the store. You know, this is why we have to start teaching our children very early on that by God's grace, we can overcome this self-serving bias that we have. We'll put everything else into our lives first, and God becomes last. That is so deeply seated within each of us. And giving is never a matter of our generosity. It's always an issue of God's generosity to us. Proverbs 3.10 says, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And the context here is the barns would be the places where the grain would be saved and the hay would be stored up to feed the livestock and the animals in which people were able to eat, live off the grain and live off what the livestock could produce. And then you'd have wine to drink because it was so precious to have something to drink back then, hard to get good water to drink. So it was safe to drink uh, wine, fermented grape juice at that time. And to be filled here in the Bible uh, would describe often a land that would be filled with people. Everywhere you look, you would see people. Or a building that would be filled with smoke. Every place you looked in that room or in that building, you would see smoke. It came to mean being completely satisfied or accomplished. And the wine vats were often carved out of stone back then. Or they were made out of clay. And they would tread out the fruit of the vine there. And the quality, it says here, of the fruit of the vine would be so remarkable that it would spill over and basically squirt over and overfill the sides. So if a person uses money to please God and develops a wholehearted trust in God, then that person, God says, I will see you through. You're going to be fine in life. Now, how many testimonies have you ever heard over the years where a person got up toward the end of their life, this is a faithful, devoted follower of Jesus, and said, you know, I just made a mistake in my life. I faithfully trusted God, faithfully gave to the Lord's work and what God was doing, and now I realize later it's a mistake. You ever hear testimonies like that? You never hear testimonies like that. In fact, the testimonies you hear from faithful, devoted followers of, of Jesus is the exact opposite. How There were times in their life where they, it, was, it was a tremendous sacrifice to trust God or to step out in faith, and they did this, and how God saw them through, how God was faithful every single time. You know, during the recent pandemic, some of the families in our church have, you know, had some, taken some serious financial hits. One of them right now is doing everything they can to scrape together, you know, an income while facing some serious threats of losing their lifelong livelihood. And it happened here about a month ago, and it was on a Thursday, so it was my day off. I wasn't here, but I heard this secondhand from one of our staff that this family came in to drop off their check, their tithe, their gift of money to the Lord, which they felt you know, was difficult for them to do because it was such a tremendous sacrifice. And their needs right now were so great. And it also was uh, quite a bit smaller than what they would normally give when things are normally going well uh, for them and their family 
and their family's business. But they stepped out in faith and did this. Now, the amazing part of the story is someone in the community knew of their circumstances and had already mailed this check to them, a very large, generous check. It was in the mail the day before they came to the church to drop off their offering. And the very next day, Friday, they received that check in the mail. After they had sacrificially stepped out in faith and trusted God to give from this very minimal, limited income they have to the Lord, and God blessed them in that way. I know of four other families in our church that, and, that have had a similar experience. And uh, one of them, when the wife received this generous donation, broke out in tears. And in fact, for the next week, every time thought of this, this person being so generous to, to them, uh, that they just broke out in tears every single time. God does offer his abundance to those who will honor him. See, honoring God financially is giving God his rightful place in our lives. And folks, there is not a secular financial planner on this planet that would ever tell you that the wisest course of action you could ever take financially, that the best thing you could ever do in your life to get ahead financially, especially if you're in a pandemic in a tough time like this, is to give your first fruits to God. You know, to do that, they'd say, that's nuts. They would never say that. And by the way, the first fruits in the Old Testament were always a tithe. It was always the one-tenth, and it was always given to the house of the Lord. Now, I'm going to encourage you this week to read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10 on your own. We don't have time to look at that this morning, but it has a fascinating discussion there about the tithe. And it talks about Abraham, his tithe to Melchizedek, who was the priest of God most high. And Melchizedek's name means that he was the king of righteousness, meaning that he was the king of good. He was, a, he was an Old Testament uh, portrait of Jesus, the king of good, the king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem, which means he was the king of peace. And verse 8 says this, in one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but the other case by him who is declared to be living. Yes, the tithe is collected by people, collected by human beings who will count it up, who will deposit it, who will put budgets together, who will pay bills in God's ministries and God's work that's going on around the world. Yes, it's human beings who do that, all who are going to die. But really, it is God who receives the offering. And, it is he, and it's God who's the one who offers his abundance to those who will honor him in this way. You know, all of us one day are going to die. And somebody else is going to own every single thing you have. The home you live in, the vehicles you drive, all of that is going to go to somebody else. Someone else is going to own it. Someone else is going to buy it. One of your family members are going to take it and use it. Uh, if there are things that nobody wants that you have, they may go to Salvation Army, or they may go to the Goodwill. Or this may happen, like happens in many families. A great big old dumpster will be placed in your driveway. And many of the things that are your belongings right now are going to be pitched into the dumpster and are going to end up in the landfill. Now, last week, we had our family reunion on my wife's side of the family, the Hayes family. And a number of them couldn't come because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Two of them had been exposed, were waiting the results of their test, took 10, 11 days for the test results to come in, 
They were all negative, of course, but they couldn't come because they were waiting those results. But those that were able to come, we had a great time enjoying the outdoors and water sports and all of those things. But on the last night together, I was commenting to one of my daughters as we looked over at the grill that we cooked supper on. That grill was from Cindy's parents who passed away in the last three years. And then the swing that people were swinging on in their yard was from the grandparents. And the go-kart, they were riding around doing laps in the backyard. The grandchildren were, and, and children were on that, was from the grandparents. And we talked about boating and water skiing and all the things that we did that day at the lake. The boat was from the grandparents, and so were the water skis. And the truck that brought the boat to the lake was from the grandparents. And then uh, a brother-in-law drove his family there in a new van that was also purchased through the help of Cindy's parents who had passed away. You know, when we die, uh, we don't get to take any of our belongings with us. Someone else is going to have all those things. So what ultimately matters in life is how we honor God. And giving to the one who receives the tithe is the way that we honor him. I think the Apostle Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, when he said, So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Our single most important goal in life is to honor God. Would you please join me in prayer? God, we thank you for these directions for life that you've granted to us and that we get to look at here in the first chapters, four chapters of the book of Proverbs. Uh, God, today you have shown us that you must be the priority in our life. You must come first in our lives. It's not that we can't do all these other things. It's not that these other things don't have value or significance in life, but they're just not as important as you and that we have to keep our priorities in place and God, especially in the whole realm of finances, of money, and of wealth. It's so easy to let that cloud our vision of you and what your goal is for our lives and what your will is in our lives. God, I pray that we can take to heart these lessons we've learned here today and learn to honor you with our wealth and to pass that message along to our children and even to our grandchildren. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.